from sheisconference.org and Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania, you're listening to the She Is Community Podcast. Hello, this is Kim Massengale, and I want to welcome you today to the She Is Community Podcast. She Is exists to encourage women of all ages to become rooted and grounded in who they are in Christ, to experience freedom in Christ that only He can give, and to empower women to live life on mission. So this podcast has been created to be a safe place for women to hear from other women just like them, to relate to life's highs and lows, and to connect with one another on a deeper level outside of our large gatherings. This episode is a throwback! Mo Isom is a New York Times bestselling author and a nationally sought-after speaker. And back in March, Mo visited us and brought with her a message filled with hope and truth. So sit back, relax, and listen to Mo's powerful word of transformation and revelation. Well, hello. How's it going, ladies? I don't know about y'all. I could just step right back into the worship that we had and worship the rest of the night. That got me all kinds of fired up. It was beautiful and it was powerful. Um, and it, it excites my spirit. I felt like when we were worshiping that last song, I got um, this vision of like lionesses, but some of them were just absolutely emaciated, and they're hungry, and they were just congregating into this place, and some were fattened and healthy, but most were starving. And here's what I know to be true, and what I love about standing in a room full of women is that hunger consumes us, right? Like hell hath no fury like a hangry woman, especially a hangry pregnant woman. And so when we are hungry, it is all-consuming, right? We want to find feast, and we really kind of are relentless until we do. And the enemy's had a grip on our culture, on our world, on many of our lives for a very long time, but I think sometimes he neglects to realize the power in a lioness that God made in his image for his purposes, and when she is hungry, she will not rest until she finds fuel. I think this is why Jesus is the bread of life. This is why the word speaks of of living water. You see, many of us have sought many things to fill the hunger in us. We've looked for the answer. We know the restlessness. We've tried to find what will satisfy our souls, but you wouldn't have come tonight or you wouldn't have reached out to a hungry sister that you saw and her agreed unless you are still seeking, pressing in, wanting this hunger satisfied. And it's like, I don't think the enemy realizes that once a hungry lioness tastes the bread of life and receives living water, she will shake the gates of hell until things just fall down. It is like the game is over, the operation is over. A woman who has been filled with and come alive to the truth and power of God will reach and bring that nourishment to everyone in her sphere. We are like high capacity, able to juggle much, incredible creatures. And so I'm excited that every single one of you guys are here because either you're well fed and you know that satisfaction of knowing truth or you're hungry and you decided to come. And I'm glad you came because I know that God is faithful to fill us. He is really faithful to fill us. So I say all that to say I'm also hungry. I stay hungry. I'm 24-7 hungry um, because I'm just always pregnant. I'm never not pregnant. I write books on sex because we have a lot of it. We've been married. (laughs) It's great. In marriage, go God. Do we actually have a picture of my smoking hot husband? I think we do. Tech guys, hit us with it. Nothing? We forgot to send the slides. Sorry. I have a smoking hot husband. You can jump on Instagram and find him. His name is Jeremiah. We've been married for four and a half years. And we have a three-year-old, a one-year-old, and a little boy on the way to show for it. Um, And it's just an absolute privilege to get to do what we do, what 
this moment really is to go where God calls, to listen for his still small voice, to say, yes, Lord, send me. And then as a family on mission to move in this together, because standing where I am now with a husband and with a family, that's not the end all be all. The end all be all is a relationship with Christ. And that is what satisfies, that is what fills anything beyond a full relationship alive in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit is just like icing on top of the cake, and I'm blessed for my smoking hot icing. But it is <laughs> exciting mostly because I stand in this moment, in this place now, getting to do what I do and travel and minister to women and speak. But it's never lost on me the, the, the juxtaposition of what that looks like next to what my past looks like that felt disqualified, that felt too dirty, that felt unseen, that felt messy and confused and pain-riddled and seeking and searching and nothing satisfying. And so to stand in the satisfaction of the fullness of God after knowing the emptiness of everything else not measuring up, man, to stand in the fullness of it as a lioness, like on mission, fattened and ready to prowl against the enemy and to bring the word of God, the truth of God, this bread of life to people is a privilege. So I'm excited to be here. That was just my intro. I'm excited to be here. I want us to pray. Before we even start, I can't help it. We've been fired up all afternoon just even being in this house, being with this body of believers um, in prayer with your leadership team. They love you guys so deeply. And some of y'all, it's the first time you've walked in the building. And if you walk in a second time, a third time, I guarantee you'll become a part of the family quickly because this leadership loves the hearts that God brings in through these doors and they care for them. They care for you. And so I want us to jump into prayer because I just feel um, a wave of of the, the privilege of even getting to steward this platform. But um, what does scripture say? It's like the kingdom is not in word, but in power. And so I could stand up here and say eloquent words and sculpt them all together and be the best speaker you ever heard and it won't change your soul. But the power of God invited into this place can take my words, whatever they may be, I don't know a single one of you. I know one who is like the best Instagram follower in the world. Katie Joe, where you at, girl? You're here. You didn't expect that. I don't know anybody else in this room. <laughs> but God knows every single one of you, and he knows every single page of your story, every single chapter, every single wound. And he is the one who has the power to take whatever words come out of here and them not just be like confusing, clanging bells, but actually tailor them and translate them to your spirit and your heart. This is who God is. The one who desires relationship with you is the one who has the power wherever you are to see you, he knows you, he loves you, and he wants to speak right into you. So words won't do it, but his power always will. And so I want us to pray and invite his power into this place, dear God. Lord, we just come before you. I just come before you and say you are holy. You are powerful. You are full of authority. You are the one who made the heavens and the earth. You are one who knit every single woman together in this room, even the ones who don't know it, who don't believe in you. Would you course truth through your heart, through their heart, that you're, they're not just here, they're yours. They're not just here, they're his. They are God's. You formed them. You made them. You desired to encounter them, God. You're also full of love. You're full of compassion. You're full of mercy. You're full of grace. So God, we just come before you humble. We say that you are God and we are not. We're women, so we like to lord our own lives and our own stories. God, we just come before you with a spirit of humility to be still and know that you are God. To come under right now your word and your truth. God, I pray for receptive spirits 
I pray that you would pull like the scales from people's eyes. I pray that you would open their ears. I pray that you would engage their minds, God, because the enemies had reign and had territory in those places for far too long. And these are your daughters in this room. So we invite in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what only you can do. Breathe life back into us. Breathe life into our lungs, into our dry bones, God. Give us life. Lord, I pray against any spirits of confusion, any weapons formed against us like the word says in the name of Jesus they cannot stand, any scheme or plan of the enemy, an enemy who is very much wanting nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy our hopes, our dreams, our future, our lives, God. We come against him in the name of Jesus and we stand in full authority knowing, God, that no spirit of confusion is welcome here, no spirit of pain is welcome here, no spirit of perversion is welcome here. We bind those spirits up, we cast them out, and we claim this is holy ground. God, you say in your word where two or more are gathered, you are present, so we just invite you into this place to move in power. Would you do it? Because I can't do it, and the band can't do it, and the leadership can't do it. God, only your Holy Spirit can do it. So we invite you, we welcome you into this place, and we thank you, God, for the ways that you love us. We praise you in advance for what you're going to do tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, okay, a couple things before we dive in. Forgive me if this has to happen frequently. It's like maternity <laughs> pants are just... It's either too high up here or it's all falling down here. There's really no healthy in-between... Also, if a little indigestion comes up, I'm doing the best I can. Here's what I love about preaching pregnant is that God wants to use you in whatever condition you are currently in. And he's more than willing and able to use you in whatever condition you are currently in, gassy and stretch marked and all. It's just the beauty of God and he'll do it. But I want to talk tonight about sex. We kind of set the stage for it and I want to dive in even deeper to it because sex, because our sexuality as women, because sexual decision-making, the influences that we will face, have faced, are daily facing, the narrative that is our sexual experience is woven into every single one of our stories. It's a part of the human condition. We're actually made as sexual beings by God. So it's nothing that any of us are exempt from navigating through in our lives. I see people of all different ages. We've got students here. We've got some old people speckled back here. I spot you two. We've just got a real mix in the room. But I love it because we are all women made in the image of God uniquely, fearfully, wonderfully, and sexuality is a part of our experience that for far too long the, the, the church as a whole, the body of Christ, has bought into the narrative that this is like a taboo topic. Like we can't discuss this topic or like we don't know how to discuss this topic or we're not even sure what the fullness and the truth of the word of God says. So so we shuffle around and we awkwardly try to figure out and we pray that the Holy Spirit will just indwell us and the words will pour out because we don't know what to answer when people ask and it just feels messy, but sex was never intended to be messy. You see, we live in a world that has taken all things sex, all things sexuality, all things um, that involve sex that are a part of what is a wide and vast and big conversation, and the world has taken it, it's twisted it, it's cheapened it, it's perverted it, it's created apps that you can feel like you, you, you need to be paid for yourself, your body given, it's created human trafficking issues, it's created a pornography industry that's overwhelming, we're entertained by it on the movies, it's set before our eyes on TV shows. I saw a cat food commercial the other day that was over-sexualized. How, Purina? No one knows, but it's amazing how much our culture has tapped into our ingrained like desire and stimulation to explore this part of our human experience. 
But the same world that has twisted it, cheapened it, perverted it, said, there's no real absolute truth around it. Figure it out for yourself. Experience it. Run the maze of trying to touch and go. Figure out your sexual experience. Oh, you built a reputation that's now following you that you can't escape, that you feel like you're trapped under. Well, sorry, keep trying to figure it out. Guess as you go. This same world that says, this is the model we should follow is the world that's saying, hashtag me too. I'm hurt, I'm wounded, I'm confused, I've been abused, I'm a victim, I'm suffering, find camaraderie in our victimhood and we don't somehow connect that the same world that escorted us into it is the one that doesn't really have the answers for us when that escorted journey leaves us wounded or leaves us unsatisfied like we talked about. When I look at the Word of God, though, God has a lot to say about sex. In fact, it's an absolute... Look at my Bible. This is embarrassing at this point. I found just the other day in my den a page out of Esther. I'm like, maybe this means I'm ultra-righteous, or maybe I just need a new Bible. It's like... What do they make this stuff with? When I look at the word of God, I see that God has a lot to say about sex, that God is actually the inventor of sex, shocking, that God is the one who gifted us with the act of sex, the totality of the sexual experience as a gift for his creation, a unifying gift within his covenant, within the parameters that he designed around it. And the same one that also teaches us that this unifying gift can be used as a weapon against an enemy who wants nothing more than to see division in our marriages, confusion about our sexual experience, pain and suffering. No, in the right context, God says this can be a weapon against the enemy. Sex is something that the creator speaks about all through his word. We see stories of sexual brokenness and redemption we see instruction, we see guidance. And so to talk more about sex is to look more like the one who created it. But I think sometimes we're silent about it because we don't know, we're uncertain, we're not sure what absolute truth is. We didn't know that it's clearly lined out in here, not as a rule list made to limit your life, but as a love letter written to your heart of, I know what's best for you, I made you. I have plans for you. I have purpose for you. I know what's going to wound you because sex is a powerful weapon, but wielded in the wrong hands, given to the enemy out of the parameters of what God designed. It's a weapon that'll wound you and take you out before you know what's hit you. And so when I look at the word, I see God speak much about sex. And when I look around and see people that aren't in the right context, I'm just a little too feisty to not speak up especially because so much of my life was spent in that maze with no real guide, touch and go, trying to figure it out and suffering as a result. And I'm just, anyone like into the Enneagram? I'm an eight! So I'm the fighter for the wounded. I'm like, I was lost, I was confused, I suffered for it. And so if anybody else out there is gonna suffer, not on my watch, like we'll just fight it head on. You see, God has a lot to say about sex and what we clearly see, one of his first conversations with man involved sex is God created man and woman, Adam and Eve in the garden. They were both made in his image, equal in his image, but unique and different, with purpose, with power. He gave instruction about who was to lead, about how we would support one another, about the teammate relationship here. He gave us wisdom into being sure of our identity. And then he said, be fruitful, meaning be productive, be constructive, know your worth, know your value, know the purposes over your life. Be fruitful, rule over what I've made, and multiply. Come on. He's not just a God of work. He's a God of a little bit of pleasure. There's nothing wrong with it. He said, in this covenant that I've created between the two of you here, be fruitful, be on mission together, 
And know this sexual gift, this instruction I've given you, multiply. And it's beautiful. It was given to us as a gift. Man, but what happens in the garden and what happens so often in our lives? What we see is that Adam and Eve, man and woman, had everything they needed. It was perfect. Living under the instruction of God, living in communion with God, living in the fullness of what God had blessed them with, but God gave them instruction that had parameters. And that is exactly where the enemy entered in and said, well, don't you think God could be withholding something from you? His parameters. We see in Genesis 3, 1 through 7, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, that you may not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, in the middle, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, oh, you will not surely die. You think just going outside of what he's designated, it won't actually cost you much. What do you mean you'll die? You surely won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and immediately Adam and, Adam and Eve felt shame. You see, what we see happen in the garden, what we see happen with Eve, and what I see happen in our lives is that God gave blessing, God gave life, he gave purpose, he gave instruction, and then the enemy said, don't you just kind of want to choose for yourself what's best for you? Don't you think God could be withholding something from you? You won't die. There won't be repercussions here. Choose to choose for yourself what you want. And so we saw it in the garden and we see it in our own lives. Temptation enters in and we want to choose for ourselves what we think is best for us. We want equality with God. We want to lord our own lives, to make our own decisions. And we think, you know, I bet I could figure it out. We're pretty capable. We're pretty high capacity as women, aren't we? You're like, yes, I am. It's like if you had like two computer windows open my mom told me this metaphor one time and it was so brilliant and my husband was there and he agreed. But it's like, with a woman's brain, there could be like 15 tabs open and we're like, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they thinking about what they're feeling? What time do the kids need to go to bed? How do we have groceries? So we need to make a meal. It's like, we're a thinker. We could juggle much. And then you look at the husband's brain and he's like a one tap guy. Like, I love men so much. Men, AV team, we appreciate you. But guys are a little more mono in thought. And my husband admitted this was true. They could think primarily about one thing. It brings their focus. They commit to it fully. It is like, that is what has their attention and their focus is their guide and it's powerful but it's like mono and we're poly and I like look at my husband sometimes and I'm like have you thought have you felt what do you know about our schedule and he's like it's three o'clock I, I <laughs> right now physically where we are and it's a beautiful gift actually in men because they can be fully present exactly where they are and we suffer with the inability most of the time to do that our brains are everywhere and it leads to a lot of pride that makes us think we can figure it out and we can lord. And I think it's why in the garden too we see God say, you'll want to lord, but I'm calling you to come under and submit. Not just to man, but so you'll know how to submit to me, to God. Now Eve chose to choose for herself what was best for her and she did suffer the consequences. It immediately moved her into shame. Scripture says they hid from God. And this is what I see in our lives. A lot of the time, it's what I saw in my life. It's not like we're living a chaste, virginal, pure life, and then one day we wake up and we're like, time to go rogue, 12 men. And it's like, we just go off the deep end. It's typically, 
Someone's like, y'all haven't been in an IUP freshman party. Well, I haven't. <laughs> but I've been in college, and it's scary, true, yes. But most of the time, the heart prior to that has been compromised. Most of the time, it starts with the small stuff that we choose to choose for ourselves what we think is best for us. And we see that temptation, and we're kind of interested in what I want to experience it all. It's my body, right? It's my freedom, right? I want to experience all of it. And so we choose to choose what is best for us. And before we realize it, that has led to death because that has let sin enter in and it has separated us from God. It wounds our hearts because we haven't lived in obedience to the one who made us. We've lived thinking we're the God of our own stories and that sin separates us from God. And suddenly we're like navigating down a trail we don't know up from down. And we feel ashamed. Oh, the enemy's greatest tactic in your life will be to silence you with shame. We feel ashamed. We feel unlovable. We feel like God certainly doesn't see us or know us or love us. Or we feel like when that abuse happened, when that rape happened, when that abortion entered into the story, that where was God then and why wasn't he protecting me? And we are women who become defensive in our shame and pain and self-protective and we try to navigate and figure all of this out on our own. And this was so much of my story. I didn't just go rogue from the start. It always starts in our heart. I remember coming downstairs um, to my mom's room when I was like in third grade. So what is that, 10? And I had been given a science project and I was supposed to fill out this trifold board about snakes, the life and times of snakes, amazing. Um, so I came down to my mom's bedroom and I remember asking her a question that no man knows the answer to, not even Google. Mom, how do snakes have sex? It doesn't make sense. There's no way anatomically. <laughs> And I had to know for my project. So I'm like, how do snakes have sex? My mom's like, not even Google knows, I don't know. But I came and I'm sure I started using terms and phrases that made her mind spin because what my mom didn't know was already at that age, at nine, 10 years old, my older neighbor, Natalie, had taken me down to the fort by the creek in our neighborhood and told me everything there was to know about sex. All the bases, all the everything. I'm like, Natalie, I didn't ask. I didn't ask. But she unloaded, and some of us have that in our testimony. It's like the cousin who told us way more and exposed us to way more. It's like that per first boyfriend or girlfriend that entered in young, and it was like suddenly we're, we're diving in deep, and we didn't even know what hit us. But that wasn't even so shocking to me because before that, at eight years old, I had opened the truck door of my dad's truck, and a playing card, like a poker card, had fallen out from these papers and trash. He kind of had stuff behind these chairs. And I bent down and picked it up to put it back into the truck, and I turned it over, and it was a novelty poker card. It was porn. And at eight years old, I had my first exposure to porn, and many of you in this room know that initial exposure and the searing effect on your heart. I didn't know what I was looking at, but I knew my mommy in the house, this wasn't her, and how could this be my daddy's? And I knew there was something off about this, and I shoved it back into his truck, and I felt like my heart was gonna beat out of my chest, but I tried to act like I hadn't seen anything when the daddy I loved climbed in the driver's seat. And for a few days, I felt that shame and confusion, but then kind of quickly, because the eye is the lamp into the body, like the word of God says, that shame kind of turned to curiosity. And what was it that I had seen? And why had it made me feel some kind of way? And I started seeking out more and more of what I could find. And y'all, I travel the country talking about this stuff, and it's like a pin could drop when a woman stands on stage and talks about porn. In 2016, in one calendar year alone, on one pornographic website, and there are hundreds of thousands, one year on one website, we as a people consumed 4.6 billion hours of porn. That is 524,000 years, 
or 17,000 complete lifetimes. And 88% of those scenes, those pornographic scenes, depict violence or aggression or physical or verbal violence against one another. And then we came back for more. You see, if we think that porn is just affecting unsaved males, then we're about as ignorant as it comes. Porn is affecting men. Porn is affecting women. Porn is affecting children. The average age of exposure to porn is nine years old. That's the average. And then in my age, you had to like seek stuff out. And now it's like you hit a wrong hashtag on Twitter and suddenly you have a whole host of things before you you didn't really want to see. But the eye is the lamp into the body. And I remember it seared something on me, and I started seeking it out. And from 8 to 18 years old, I struggled with an addiction to pornography. And those images, because that was what was set before my eyes, painted the idea for me of what power was, of what beauty was. Goodness, I remember standing in front of my mom at 12 years old talking about how when I was 18, I needed a breast augmentation. At 12 not liking what I saw in the mirror because it didn't look like this powerful, pleasurable thing that I was seeing behind closed doors. And this followed me. It followed me to, you know, I made, I remember on that couch, the conversation progressed with my poor mom. And I think she was just happy enough to guide it to a place where she explained, honey, God desires that we be virgins until we're married. I was a virgin. Your father was a virgin. We're intended to have sex with our husband or wife. And she like couldn't even finish the sentence before I stood up. I'm a little theatrical if you haven't noticed. And I was like, then mother, I too will be a virgin until I'm married. And I marched out of the room. And it was like this very proud nine-year-old proclamation of, of virginity. And I'm sure she was relieved, would you not be, if your nine-year-old vowed that with the theatrics of Shakespeare. But the truth was, for me, I made this virginity vow, but I missed completely the understanding of what God truly cares about, that is purity. Purity in our thoughts, purity in our heart, purity in our actions, purity in the words we speak, purity in the way we live our lives. I didn't get that. I just got the virginity thing, which wasn't so hard to keep when you're nine. But as high school crept around and temptation got real and my body changed and porn was consistently set before my eyes, suddenly when the temptation did creep in, I started acting out the things that I had been watching. This is how it progresses. For us, this is how this sin just dismantles our lives. I started acting out those things, pushing the envelope, claiming the good Christian thing, right? I'm a Georgia Bible Belt girl. I'm still a virgin, but, but pushing every possible envelope of gray area in between. Well, what really is virginity? How far is too far becomes our question. God, how far can I push the envelope and still like be okay and good? God's like, oh, you've missed it. You're missing it. Your question should be, God, how close can I draw near to you? And then what does that look like in my life? When we don't know truth, we don't know this. And I remember pushing the envelope in one night in college. Lord, you should see the looks and the laughs I got in college when um, I didn't, this was BC days before Christ. I didn't know Jesus yet, and so I was just living to live. And let me, (laughs) you can use that. And let me tell you something. The looks I would get when I always kind of stopped the night short and was like, I can't go that far. I'm a Christian. I'm a virgin. And they're like, what? (laughs) By like the thread of a needle. And I'm like, it's going to count one day. This is the mentality of many of us. It's scary. You're laughing nervously because you're like, Carol, she knows. This is (laughs) This is the human condition. How much can I lord? Or maybe I go too far and then it's all a wash. And so I'll just continue living and doing whatever I want to do. No, I remember waking up one morning after a drunken night, the night before, and I should side note that a part of my story after my freshman year of college, I came home and my dad put a gun to his heart and pulled the trigger and so suicide entered my story and many of you have been compelled into sexual confusion because of the pain of circumstances in your life and the fatherlessness that entered into your story. 
and the debilitating wound that happened to your understanding of love because something that defined the love for you failed you. And so then bump that, I'll go find love however I need. You want to know something that's going to compel us into sexual sin? Have a wound that you want to numb for a little bit. And I numbed that wound of fatherlessness in my life with anybody that would give me a piece of their body in hopes it would fill something in my heart. And many of us hurt and don't understand the love of God because we've been failed by the love of man. Man will always fail us. I mean, men and women. Humans will always fail us. God will not. But this is hard. When you're separated in sin, when you're trying to figure it out on your own. I remember waking up that morning after a drunken night. Some of us know it's like replaying the night before. It's almost like a movie reel. What do I remember? What happened? Wait a second. Who are those people that joined our group in the middle of the night? And who was that guy that I ended up in the kitchen with? And what had they said about him earlier? Try to remember, Mo. Was he divorced or was he separated or was he married or was I an adulteress? And suddenly the weight of what I had done came crashing down because I was involved with a married man in a drunken moment of no self-control and wanting what I wanted, suddenly adultery was written over my story. And how did I, the well-meaning, all-American, great, great grades, academic, student-athlete, how was the well-meaning, churched girl on the surface, the one who could wear the masks and fake fine, how was I now the adulteress, the porn-addicted, the giving myself away to people, the always-needed-my-fix on my mobile device, one in five mobile devices, searches are for porn. Come on. We're struggling, many of us. We can't even get out of this, like, cycle. We keep coming back to the same unhealthy relationships, and we keep looking for that worth. You don't need a partner to assign you value. You need a soul reawakened to your worth in the Father's eyes. And many of us are seeking others to tell us we're enough, and I just hit a wall. And here's what was scary is when I thought about any and all of these things and when I thought about them in light of God, because we can play it dumb like, well, I don't know, what kind of constitutes sin and is it or is it not? And it's my body and it's my life. Your soul knows when it's sin. That's why you're a hungry lion looking for something to feed you because you've eaten crackers and you're longing for steak, something that will satisfy and I remember thinking, oh my goodness. I was that church girl who like stood up and committed my life like 18 times in a row when I was young. It was like any altar call, I was like, by the grace of God, I need it. And it's like, never stuck. I'm like, surely God is sick of me and done with me. And this grace kind of ends here because I'm about as far gone as you can be in this sexual maze. I couldn't have told you the number of people that had pictures of me on their phones. What was amazing was a little while later, and you can uh, pick up a copy of Wreck My Life if you want to know the full testimony, but when I came to know Jesus, <laughs> it was wild. There was a car accident involved. The Spirit of God, it just lit everything on fire. But when I came to know Jesus and when I actually turned to his word and I said, okay, God, I don't really understand you. I don't understand the fullness. I don't understand everything. I could tell someone a lot about God, but I admit here, I don't know God. And I'm living in sin and I know it's part of my story. And I know you have a lot to say about these things. So whether it hurts, whether it's hard, whether it rips me apart and fillets me open and does heart surgery that's uncomfortable. I want to know truth that's never changing and never failing. And I want to align my life with it because nothing has satisfied me except you so far. And so I know even if it hurts and even if it's hard, I want you to do heart surgery on me. And so what do you have to say about me in this state of my sexual confusion and brokenness and pain? Oh, and the Jesus that I met changed everything. 
Because the Jesus that I met when I dug into the word, when I looked in, I saw that Mark 7, 15 says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Oh, wait, so this is a heart thing? Yeah, God blesses those who are pure, for they will see God, Matthew 5, 8. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. That's Psalm 51.10. Everything I look to in the word of God says what I care most about is your heart. Your heart has been separated from me in your sin. But I am the one who redeems the gap. I am the one who wants to heal your heart. I am the one who wants to transform your heart, wants to resuscitate your heart back to life because you're dead right now. Oh, but I don't have condemnation for you. While there's breath in your lungs, my grace can save you. And I want to do work in your heart. And so I looked and I saw in John 4 the story of the woman at the well. Does anyone know this story? The Samaritan woman? If you don't, I'll break it down Jerry Springer style. It's real exciting. People are like, I don't know, the word of God's really boring. I'm like, we're not reading the same Leviticus because this stuff is wild. It's like... (laughs) Some Leviticus readers got that. There's stuff in there about sex with livestock. You're like, what's happening? No wonder we needed Jesus. You're like, be careful. Y'all don't know Uncle Steve. I'm sorry. I shouldn't. I'll stop. It's just we're in. (laughs) Sorry. Steve's not the point. The point is when I looked (laughs) in the word of God in John 4, I saw a woman who was a whore by all accounts. A woman with a sexual reputation that was broken, that was messy. And we know this, we know she carried a reputation because she was out at the well drawing water in her town at high noon, which nobody was at the well at high noon. It's the hottest part of day. It's not when they would go to get water for their homes, for their families. But this woman obviously didn't want to be seen or known. And she's out at the well drawing water, and she's a Samaritan woman, and Jesus is a Jewish man. And if you understand the culture then too, you will know that that was very taboo for a Jewish man to associate with a Samaritan woman. The Jews didn't do that, and Jesus wasn't normal. And guess what? Jesus doesn't care in your life about what's taboo. He steps right past taboo and into your story. And he's sitting at this well and he asks her to draw him water. And she's like, me? He's like, yeah, would you draw me some water? And she's like, why would you speak to me? He's like, if you knew who you were speaking to, you'd drink living water and you would never thirst again. And Jesus is kind of sassy. Like I said, if you really read it, you'll understand the spunk of God. And so he says to her, um, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he's like, I know, son of man. You've had five. And the man you're living with now, you're not even married to. And this woman encounters Jesus. And one of the first things he does in his exchange with her is he drums up all of her sexual brokenness. He points out the very things that have defined her reputation. He brings up this stuff from the depths of her heart that I'm sure she wrestles with daily but tries to fake fine and act like she's doing okay. He drums it all up and she's like, how do you know these things about me? Who are you? She said, are you a prophet? He says, no, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one who knows every one of those things about you and came to redeem every one of those things about you and save you. I have forgiveness for you. The only person I'm sure that encountered her in her life that said, you don't want to be seen, but I see you, and you don't want to be known, really known, because we'll let people in, but like at their distance, but I know you. I see your heart and I see that it's hurt. And I have living water to give you that you would never thirst again. And y'all, we're in a thirsty generation. And Jesus is the one with living water that she would never thirst again. And here's what I love about the Samaritan woman. 
Not like Eve who sinned from God and then hid in shame. No, the Samaritan woman doesn't run off in shame. She doesn't run off in denial. Some of us are tired. We've been running a really long time. She doesn't run back into the comfort of her sin because this makes me feel good and this doesn't hurt my emotions. Oh, Selena Gomez with your pop ballad, the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> scripture says the heart, <laughs> scripture says the heart is the most deceptive thing. Who can trust it? And it's like, I know that's true, God, because I know how astray my heart has led me. The Samaritan woman doesn't follow her feelings back into wait. I just want what's comfortable. I just want what I've been living in. I just want what I know and what feels safe. And it leaves me still hungry, but this just feels better. No, the Samaritan woman, it's the first person in the totality of scripture of the gospels that Jesus gives explicit permission to, to evangelize. He's performed miracles. He's like healing the blind and raising the dead. Just a Tuesday for Jesus. And he says to all of these people, don't tell anybody what I've done. Don't tell them who I am. He's meticulous in the release of his ministry. And it's not missed by me that the first person that Jesus Christ gives permission to, to go tell him I'm the Messiah. Go tell him I'm the one who sees you. Go tell him I know you. Go tell him I love you. Go tell him I have the power to save you. Go tell him no reputation can't be rewritten by me. Go tell them my love for you is greater than the sin in your heart. Go tell them that's the first person in the holy word of God that he compels into evangelism. And scripture says the Samaritan woman drops her buckets, lifts her robes, and takes off running back to her village with another man's name on her lips. Imagine what the villagers must have thought when she comes in with another man's name on her lips. But this time it's the name above all names. It's the name of Jesus. And she comes back to tell her village, I met a man who knew everything about me. Man, are any of us bold enough to do that? No, we're like, I would rather hide behind my Instagram filter and life is good. <laughs> no, I'm up on stage saying, I met a man who told me everything about me. And then said, I love you so much, I die for you so that your separation from God can be brought back together by my love. You put your faith in me that I can heal you, that I will redeem you, that I will become a father to the fatherless, that I will lift you up, that I will restore you, that it may hurt and may be hard and it's heart surgery, but I will create in you a new heart. Put your faith in me. And hundreds came to believe in response to her faithfulness. <sighs> I'm out of time. I'm over time. I still have so much. You are loved and you are seen and you are known by God. And for some of you, that terrifies you because you know the darkness in your heart. But I want you to know that he's the light of the world and he wants to light up that darkness and heal each and every part. He's not finished with you yet. And sometimes it's a co-laboring we need to do of saying, okay, God, you see me? Save me. Feed me. Heal me. And he says, 1 Corinthians 6.18, AV guy, this is where you got to keep up. I fly through these. They get me real fired up. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual sin then. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Hebrews 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the life of faith, let us throw off every weight that holds us down, especially the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race his God has set before us. You see, when we look at John 8, we see another woman, an adulteress, to be stoned. Everyone wants her dead. 
for her actions, what she's been caught red-handed in doing. And some of you are caught red-handed tonight and you're like, I feel this, I feel the weight, but there's a party after this and I had plans with this one guy and I don't want to feel this weight. And so maybe if I just stuff it down and don't deal with it, then I can kind of disconnect again and go back to living the life that I want to live. And I feel like God is saying something to my heart. And there's some of us who are like, it's going home to my husband and we haven't been together in who knows how long. And I have every reason in the book why I'm resentful and angry towards him and don't want that intimacy from him. But I look at the word of God and it's a command to come together with my husband that it's unifying, but I don't know if I can really handle this. And we're caught sort of in the moment of what we're living in and the spirit of God is pointing out and drawing up these things like he did with the Samaritan woman. And we see an adulteress caught red-handed to be stoned. And they say, well, Jesus, we've caught this woman. What would you have us do with her? Here, Jesus gets a little sassy again. He's just a passive-aggressive at times. And he's like, oh, well, those without sin can cast the first stone. And he kneels down in the sand. And he just probably plays tic-tac-toe for a second. (laughs) Maybe not. But he kneels and he waits. And stones start to fall all around him. And when he looks up, he's like, where are your accusers? He asks the woman, because everyone's gone. She says, I have none. They're gone. He says, then I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. Maybe caught red-handed and Jesus is saying, take living water, drink. And then allow my love for you my forgiveness of you, my redemption, my grace, my mercy, allow it to compel you to open your eyes and your ears to the truth that I know what's best for you. And I want to use you. You were made as a lioness with power, with strength, with plans, with purpose. And this sexual confusion or pain has separated you from far too long and you're hungry, you're emaciated. Let me feed you. And go and sin no more. Let my love for you change you, transform you. It's the heart surgery. It's not behavior modification. That's going to leave you crashing and burning in about a month from now. When he hits you up on that you up text. Or when your husband's done something again that's frustrated you or when you need that fix because you don't feel seen or known or loved, behavior modification will never last and it won't sustain you, but heart transformation will. And the Holy Spirit wants to transform our hearts. He wants to use us. And I'm sick of the enemy winning out over the women of God's kingdom with sexual confusion and pain that's blinded us and shamed us or puffed us up in pride or confused us for far too long. So here's what I want to do. It's kind of unique, and I'll wrap. I want everybody to stand. The athletes are like, no, we just lifted our thighs. (laughs) I remember. Remember like day two after you've had like like a lifting session where you have to squat and you have to go on the toilet and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I need this spirit, oh God. It's so sore. Here's what I want to do. Um, I want to give us all just a couple of minutes. Um, I think sometimes we live in such a crazy, busy, confusing, fast-paced, overwhelming world that really a lot of our struggles just kind of continue on because we fail to just be still with God and talk to him. And there's a lot of people in here like, I've never done that, and I don't know what that looks like, and what does it sound like? Is it supposed to be fancy? It's conversation. It's just relationship. He just wants to talk to you. He wants to hear from you. So I want us to spend a few minutes in prayer and just bring to God what it might be that he's stirring in you. Don't stuff it down. Don't run from it. Don't pick up your phone and get on Instagram and hope you can just numb these couple of minutes away. Like, do the hard but holy heart work. It's worth it. Talk to God. Let him search you. And then I want us to spend a few minutes listening in your heart what his still small voice may be saying. 
But if y'all want to enter into prayer, we'll just spend a few minutes in this moment and then have another opportunity. Sometimes hearing the voice of God is just um, a word. He may kind of drop onto your spirit. I feel like I'm receiving a few words from him, and so I feel compelled to share. I don't know who this is for or if it's for anyone in the room, but I'm just in a really powerful way getting the word abandonment. And I don't know if this necessarily revolves around the sexual decisions you've made kind of in response, but it has definitely impacted and wounded your heart. There's abandonment in your life from a mother. There's abandonment from friends. An abandonment from a father, from parents together. There's just a spirit of abandonment that has taken root You haven't quite known how to cope with that. And it entered in young. Another word I am getting is singleness, and it's just, it's like frustrating. It's a frustrated singleness. There's no contentment, there's no peace, there's nothing more than a longing to have companionship. It's a resentfulness of your singleness. A frustration. Feeling like God's withholding something from you. Oh, God wants to fill you completely and to know that your relationship status is not the definer of your worth. He wants to fill you to max capacity with the contentment of his love, of his presence, of his power. Singleness isn't the title over your life. It is where your relationship status is right now, but that is trivial in light of the status of your heart. You don't need a husband. You need a holy encounter. And if God chooses to send that gift, then it will be known as a blessing, not an entitlement. If you can stand in the wonder that is singleness. I'm just getting abuse too. I feel like there's been abuse in the room. Physical. Someone's put their hands on you and it has scorned you from trust of others. And it's just tilled a garden of pain in your heart. There's a lot that's taken root because of abuse that entered your story. Oh, would you know that he's Jehovah Rapha, that he's the great physician, the healer? That he grieves when we grieve that justice will be done in the eyes of the Lord when all is said and done. And that abuse doesn't have the power to chain down your life any longer. 
but that he wants to invite you into forgiveness of the abuser to set you free from that suffering. These are the things God will drop in our spirit when we open up our hearts to him and we ask for understanding. So here's what I wanna do as we've continued to pray together. With eyes still closed and heads bowed, I wanna offer an invitation right now for anyone who maybe for the first time has heard about the love of God, the one that meets us at our well. You are like, I am the Samaritan woman. And people don't know it because on the surface I can hide it, but I am the woman at the well. The adulteress to be stoned. And I'm learning that maybe, just maybe, God hasn't given up on me yet, but maybe rather there's something called forgiveness in the equation and grace. Maybe it's the first time tonight that you've heard the power of that gospel, that you are separated from God with your sin. Oh, but he's offered the way, the truth, and the life to bring you back to him. Because all of us are going to stand before him. And you won't have your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your peer or your teammate or anyone next to you in that moment. It will be you and God. And he will search our hearts and know our truth. Would we allow him to purify us now so that we can stand there in confidence, not confusion and fear of what will we hear? Well done, my good and faithful servant, or away from me, I never knew you. I don't want to hear away from me, God. I want you to know me now, even as hard as it is. I want you to search us and transform us. If you're in the room tonight and you're like, for the first time, I don't want to just know about Jesus. I want Jesus to actually be the Lord of my life, be the redeemer of my story. I can't fight what I'm feeling, this pressing in my spirit, and I want to respond. If that would be you, I want to invite you to stay standing in a minute when I count to three. Or if you're in the room and you're like, I know truth, I know the gospel, I've understood it, but I don't even know how I got so far off track here, and I know God is calling me back to him I need to just get my head up and look around and reach back out for that grace. If that is you, I would invite you to stay standing as well. And if it's not you in the room tonight, that's okay. This isn't an emotional decision. This is a decision with our spirits, the decision with our lives to hand them over for something greater, to trust God with things that are bigger, with the confession that we're broken and we need to be made new, that we're impure and we need to be cleansed. If you feel called to respond tonight, to talk with someone, to pray with someone, or to be prayed over, I want to invite you to stay standing. And if that's not you, then you can sit. But I want us to keep our eyes closed and our head bowed, and on the count of three, decide, sit or stand. One, two, three. Scripture says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. And the decision to stay standing is a humbling one. But scripture also says that when even one rebel heart repents and turns back to God, knows that they're in sin and asks him to forgive them. If, when even one turns back to God, the angels throw a party in heaven. I'm looking forward to eternity because God's in the business of reviving hearts. So on the count of three again, I want us to open our eyes and look around and see other sisters who are standing. If anything, to know that you're not alone, that many of us are working these things out, figuring these things out, allowing God to do a, a work in our hearts. And then I want us to celebrate those women too, and we'll worship again, but... I want us to stand in a holy moment of knowing that God's spirit can and will bring us back to life and restore us by his grace alone. So on the count of three, we can open eyes and look around. One, two, three. And look at that. Holy moly. That's amazing.
guys, these are women of different ages, different walks of life, students, moms, grandmothers. These are our sisters in Christ saying, create in me a clean heart, O oh God. In response to a hashtag me too world, I hope those standing that your heart cry would be, then hashtag me first. Create in me a clean heart, God. Open my eyes, transform my heart so I can reach those whom I know and whom I love and see your grace cover them too. This is bold and this is beautiful and this really gets me excited. So I want to pray over you guys and we'll worship again. But more than anything, I want you to be able to see the people around you who want to walk this out with you. This is important that we don't do this alone. It helps to have accountability and community. And I see so many standing side by side and I love that. Dear God, we thank you. We praise you. You're holy and you're good and you're kind and you're full of power and you are mighty to save. God, I ask right now by the spirit of the living God that you would indwell in these women standing, that this would not just be an emotional decision and a changed mind when things get hard, God, but that this would be an eternal deep impact that would take roots in their spirits, God, that by faith in Christ, they would be saved, Lord, that you would empower them with the Holy Spirit, that they would allow you to do the heart work in them and that you would fill them with courage and strength and wisdom and discernment as they walk out a life honoring to you. We love you, God. We thank you for your redemption. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, ladies. I don't know about you guys, but I am so incredibly thankful for Mo's obedience to share her story. Her openness and vulnerability had such an impact on me and so many others that were able to attend the She Is One Night event. And we truly hope you enjoyed listening to her too. We highly recommend her two best-selling books, Wreck My Life, Journeying from Broken to Bold, and Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot. You will not be able to put them down. Right, Kim? Absolutely. Like, I literally read both of them within 48 hours. I could not put them down. They are powerful books, and I want to get these in the hands of every girl and woman I know. They're really important messages, so I would encourage you to go out and buy them today. Thank you so much for joining us today. We can't wait to continue on this journey with you, bringing on guests and speakers to make connections and open up community. Whether the rest of your day is filled with work, coffee, kids, friends, or an epic grocery list, we hope it is wonderful. Follow us on social media at Summit She Is and have a great week.